0: have accessed Entry 484.EZ4030, Certificate Number 30320, Flying Through the Gateway Arch. Uh, I Is got this th- like a delta status level? <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> when you get to 10 million miles, they let you fly... Any jet you want (laughs) through any aperture you want. I choose DC 10. (laughs) It doesn't matter if the aperture is smaller than the plane. They're like, he's at 10 million. I don't know what you want. Uh, I got home the other night from my stressful guest hosting thing in LA and I was just fried.
0: (laughs) Your guest hosting thing?
1: (laughs) I don't know if you've heard, John, I'm an interim guest host on the popular syndicated quiz show, Jeopardy.
0: Interim and guest. That's two different uh, little appendages. Yeah,
1: it kind of makes you wonder what the difference is.
0: Yeah. What's the difference between an interim- Permanent guest host. Well, that's Joan Rivers. <laughs> yeah, Joan Rivers, exactly. Johnny's guest
1: tonight. I guess it, it, everybody's, uh, well, It's I'm a guest host who's working in the interim yes. between Alex's passing and their
0: being a host. So when uh, when Futurelings uh, listen to this episode, will oh, it be, yeah, will it, it be clearer to them what your status is? Oh, I doubt.
1: it. Well, I mean, this will air in. I mean, the earliest people could possibly hear. This. I mean, in the year thirty thousand A.D. for sure. Right, they'll be like for sure. Ken was hated for his attempt at replacing the beloved Alex Trebek, <laughs> and was was like burned in effigy in cities across America.
0: Or they might be they they might be kneeling at the foot of the of the golden calf of the Ken statue.
1: Uh, the earliest this goes in the time capsule is the very end of January. So yeah, I will have, I will have, um,
0: the episodes the, will be airing.
1: Yeah. There will be a, a few weeks of me on TV and th- I'm sure the internet. they will have an opinion. Sneering. Yeah. Uh, but, well, um, We're
0: recording this in a period where you are making these shows, but no one's seen them yet. It's, uh. Yes. Including me. I haven't seen them, which I, I'm personally offended by. I haven't seen them. Oh, right. I guess that's right. You would be the first to see They it.
1: texted me and they said, hey, we've seen an edit. It, you know, it looks good. And what that means is...
0: You're we, not immediately fired.
1: Well, we never had to edit Alex. Like, he would do a 30-minute show in 30 minutes. Right. And there was no... There's really no editing. Uh... That is not true of my first week of shows. There's a lot of, hey, why don't you do this one more time?
0: Well, good. The staff of Jeopardy has been coasting for too long. Those people have just been living <laughs> off the fat of the land. When I, when I went to see the, the Goat, I was astonished at how much everyone on set, which is 30 people, right? How many, how many people are there? More.
1: I mean, less now in COVID, but... Uh,
0: but they are huge so... Issue. Their jobs are so chill. Everybody knows exactly what they're doing. People are just sort of walking around, chatting with each other. I was like, why are, I'm stressed just being in the audience. Why are you people so happy? It's funny
1: because uh, a lot of it was just, yeah, we'll do it the way it's always been. done." No, my first day, nobody ever um, told me to get back in the makeup chair after lunch. Because Alex would just do that himself. Alex would mic himself. It turns out.
0: Now that's insane.
1: For the first time, they've had to send a sound person back because Alex mic'd himself for thirty-seven years. Well, sound people don't want you to mic themse-
0: mic yourself.
1: That, that's it.
0: That's incredible. I guess he I guess grandfathered
1: he, in. He was and he was good. That's yeah. the thing. He never wanted water at his lectern. That was a sign of weakness, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I so, agree. So I had to ask the prop guy. Who the, you know, the prop guy in Jeopardy exists to give the three contestants water and put up dividers between their lecterns so they can't cheat like cliff clavin on final jeopardy
0: but but this is a it's a union job in hollywood he's He's, loving it he makes $120,0. Jeff, he was the guy
1: that handed me water in 2004 (laughs) he's my favorite he always called me hacksaw for some reason hey how's it going hacksaw i never asked him to call me hacksaw i Mm -hmm. never felt i was worthy of being called hacksaw but i I
0: wouldn't describe you as a hacksaw
1: like if you saw my photo you wouldn't be like hey I bet that guy's called Hacksaw. Well, even
0: even knowing you as well as I do. <laughs> Maybe no, even less. <laughs> you don't even you don't have any hacksaw qualities.
1: I had to be like, Hey Jeff, can I get a water? And he was like, Oh, sorry, it's just Alex never
0: uh Oh, so he threw you some shade a little bit.
1: Well, no, I think it was just like here's why I didn't think of it, because oh, okay. for for decades I tried to offer Alex a bottle of water and he right. would just
0: Alex just flower. He did two shots of castor oil. <laughs> <laughs> and and like ate a little little uh, pouch of fingernails,
1: Diet Pepsi and a candy bar. I think that was that was the uh, breakfast of champions. And there.
0: your Diet uh, Dr Pepper. So it's really just a it's a yes. pivot.
1: And I haven't really been like trying to like I haven't put that in my writer. So I've just been all Diet Coke all the time because I think oh, that's Diet I, Coke is repulsive. No, I love Diet Coke. Oh, all right. I'm not anti Diet Coke.
0: The first thing I would have done if this if this was me if they were transitioning to have me be the host of Jeopardy. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. They have, it's not. They haven't reached out yet. You're not
1: saying when. You're saying if.
0: Right. <clears throat> but I would. My writer would be the first thing I'd be adjusting. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I would scratch the word diet off of everything. And I'm not I would sure say, you would lost in this job. Giant bowl of M Ms
1: on the lectern. Now he's the ideal host, but he's a real handful about his dressing room. So, uh, why was I saying this? Oh, right. Oh. So, so I had flown back, and my brain is just. It's it's uh it goes really fast. I mean. This would what happened to me when I was playing. Like, I would play five Jeopardies in a day, and then that night, like, they would just kind of expand in my head, and I couldn't sleep. And that would happen hosting as well, because the stuff just happens too fast for your brain to process.
0: Oh, so then after the shows, you lay in bed, and you're saying that there's a time compression that then is released, and you basically live Relive. each episode in real time? Yes. Oh, my God. It's
1: some... Um, game show acid trip experience. I
0: can see that.
1: And it's not, and they're almost like, kind of like, uh, what do you call like compulsive thoughts you can't get rid of? Like, uh, Uh, isn't there a term of art for- Yeah, what is that? uh, Um. You know, where you're just harried by, and, 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 you know, I should be able to be like, you know what, Ken, let's stop thinking about Jeopardy and just uh, relax and uh, drop off to sleep. And I would still be like, Oh, and then there was that whole category, of, and it wouldn't even be anything. Right. There was a whole category about construction, and then there was the stuff about, you know, and...
0: I mean, I do that too, and I'm not on Jeopardy. I just lay in bed and think.
1: What, what, what kind of things are you reliving during the day? <laughs>
0: so many things. Like, oh... I put that thing in the
1: microwave, and it was too big for the carousel well, to turn, and I had to move it a little. No, it's like
0: 14 years ago, I was at an architectural supply <laughs> store, and they had a bunch of doorknobs that I thought were dumb looking, but now I wish I'd bought them all. <laughs> I mean, that kind of thing. Regrets, but, but uh, I've had a few. That's right, but but you even when you would win a show, you would replay the show because of yeah. questions you got wrong. And it's not or,
1: trauma. It's not like can you believe the dumb thing I said? It, it really is just more
0: like well, because you never lost.
1: Well, no, Think I said about your opponent. I said plenty of dumb things, but there's no, there there wasn't that. It was just like the brain kind of mm-hmm. having to sift through things it had not been able to do in real time. Wow, insane! And that's true now that you're hosting. It's I'm, I'm interim guest hosting, John. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't know about if the real host would be plagued by this. Probably not. I'm sure I'm sure Alex has a glass of wine and it's gone.
0: Uh but uh for, I mean, you're in a hotel for an interim room, guest host. You're in a hotel room. my my personal experience is after a, after a big show you go to the hotel room and you turn on Sex in the City, which is on every TV everywhere in America, and you just watch Sex in the City. And and you're... we
1: get it your your hotel at HBO, John, <laughs> and your brain nice, just goes right nice out your brag. ear, right? I wish. Hmm. So I would just I, I woke up in the middle of the night for like two hours, just kind of with Jeopardy flashbacks.
0: Wait a minute, we're talking about Jeopardy again. Where are we doing a are we doing a podcast on a, on flying through the St. Louis Arch?
1: And when I got home. <laughs> i'm like lying in bed like sleepy but too wired from the because i flew home the same night we did five shows
0: so when you got home to seattle yeah i I see
1: okay so like i get home to seattle and i'm just trying to sleep and i'm looking at this like some i don't know even some coffee table book from next to the bed and it's got a poster of this
0: table next to your bed that's why we can't tax the rich i don't
1: have a coffee table just the books oh just the books Someday I hope to be successful enough to have a coffee table to put them on. <laughs> but it was some kind of old, uh, maybe WPA-looking poster. Well, it couldn't be because it would be; it would have been '60s of the St. Louis skyline, and there were planes going by overhead, and they had the trail, the chem trail, yep. as you know, of the plane, yep. spreading uh, chems, spreading whatever it spreads. What does it spread again? Chems. It spreads the chems. Yeah.
0: Although I recently learned, this has changed in recent weeks. Oh, they've updated the recipe. <laughs> well, no, do not Google chems. I, Hold on. I, I used to refer to chemtrails as chems because that's the term of art within the chemtrails community. But hashtag chems, C H E M S, takes you to an entirely different culture, subculture of uh, N N the S-F-W. Of
1: pharmaceutically enhanced NSFW activities. Yes. So, that you do not want to look at.
0: Even in the future, even if you are a sentient birch, um, I think you would still be, well, you they, would just- they'd be, they'd be more offended, probably. <clears throat> the thing is- A fine upstanding birch? having They don't worry about poppers. Having now been alerted, if you, this is the thing about spoiler alerts, right? If you don't want to be scandalized- Don't go. But if you thrill to the scandal, or if you don't even consider it scandalous, you'll just waltz happily into hashtag chems. Yeah, if
1: your your plan was to have fewer people Google the word chems, I don't think you have succeeded by saying whatever you do, don't Google chems, <laughs> because it's full of explicit material.
0: I believe that 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 futurelings are typically fourteen year olds, and uh, that are that are always looking to expand think, their horizons.
1: Do you think future humans will be sentient teenagers for the first time? Teenagers will achieve intelligence and mm, uh, and sentience.
0: That seems unlikely. Seems no, unlikely. I, I think it's going to be a baby Yoda future where where <laughs> <laughs> uh, creatures are futurelings are fifty years old but still you know, infantile.
1: Gulag, the, Gulag almost, the baby Yoda?
0: Almost true now.
1: <laughs> We're getting there. We're <laughs> up to the mid thirties. I don't know if we've hit 50 yet.
0: <laughs> Yay. We got to a millennium cut down joke and it's only 10 minutes into the show. Uh, Let's get after boomers now. Uh, yeah. Well, that's too easy.
1: The uh, So I'm reading this book with a picture of a, an airplane trail going through the, the – uh, the Gateway Arch in St. Louis, and for a moment I Through misunderstand. It. No, well, it's it's passing across it, oh, okay. and for a moment I misunderstand. This is not one of the 3D coffee table books that I'm sure you have. Yes, your chemically assisted reading.
0: I've, I've been. I have asked for uh, a virtual reality headset for oh. uh, for the upcoming holiday,
1: and the listeners, as they listen, you have it or not?
0: I don't. I, well, that's right. In the future, I have it. Or, I have it or don't. And you're Schrodinger's lawnmower man. Every one of my family members has said, we don't think you should get a virtual reality headset because we don't trust that you won't disappear into a virtual reality. I think
1: my dad did kind of disappear when he got his. Really? Like, yeah. But luckily, he and my mom have been married for 50 years, and she, <laughs> she was perfectly happy with that. What
0: else is there to talk about? <laughs> but no, I, so I, I think I will be denied it because, because there, it feels like a social intervention. Like, don't get John that thing because he'll just it'll be like uh, it'll be like that that movie with the u2 soundtrack uh, until the end of the world where you can watch your dreams wait you you
1: saw that movie <laughs> yeah I just watched the five-hour cut of it like no. uh, yeah like a month or two ago
0: there's a five- hour cut of it
1: yeah it just Vin uh, vendors had to really <laughs> cut it down I bet he did <laughs> so the the theatrical was only three hours yeah and it doesn't even have room for all the great Talking Heads and Nick uh, Cave songs. When that when
0: that movie came out, <clears throat> I uh, I was at, I was going to the University of Washington and um, the theater on the Ave. Which one? The Varsity. The Varsity. Yeah. Um, I knew everybody because I was in college. I knew everybody that worked at the Varsity. Yeah. And that movie was playing at the time. It was new, and nobody was going to see it. <clears throat> it was too esoteric. It was three hours long. It did not. It didn't catch fire.
1: We should have told people, hey, if you don't see it now, you're going to have to see the five-hour one on (laughs) Broadway. That's right.
0: There's not going to be the three-hour cut. This is your chance. And I was dating a girl named Kate who was very – she was like one of my early um, super-traumatic girlfriends. STGs. And she she got out of class like a half hour before I did. And so every day during the run of that movie, she would get out of class and go to the varsity, go into the theater – to until the end of the world and wait for me. And then when I would get out of class, I would go to the varsity and I was always a half hour late to the movie or 20 minutes late.
1: So you've seen it four times, but never the first
0: half no, hour? Seen it 14 times. I mean, we <laughs> we <laughs> met there every day. I don't know what we were doing. It's a completely, you know, it's a such a head trip of a thing. Well, the fir- uh, We go and make out. We Do I need
1: we- to tell you what happens in the first half hour? Cause you've never seen it? I, I feel like I haven't seen it. What happens? Well, they're crisscrossing the globe. It starts, you know, the the beginning before they get to Australia. It's, it's they shot it uh, in like twelve different.
0: I mean, I didn't countries. see any of it. I was making out with my girlfriend, and I, we'd sure. look up every once in a while and be like, "Whoa, Whoa William Hurt's uh, tripping!" Yeah, we're all tripping
1: because they did weird kind of video effects on the. It was yeah. kind of the beginning of that.
0: Um, well, so anyway. You well, know, we it, don't usually anyway each other, but this is a really anyway laden episode. I'm still trying to explain
1: why I'm interested in the St. Louis Arch, and you won't even let me get to that. <laughs> Here,
0: let me anyway. You're anyway. <laughs> okay. Speaking
1: of virtual reality and the University of Washington, when I was a student there, at uh, I'm close to the same time, early yeah, this, early 90s, early I guess,
0: 90s, because I was I was a late bloomer.
1: Uh, well, hold on. I was there in 93 and when didn't, didn't until the end of the world come out right around?
0: I was there in 93. We were at the university of Washington at the same time. But not in the same fraternity. No, I wasn't in whatever (laughs) Mensa group you were in. (laughs) I think neither of us were in a fraternity.
1: Uh, my, I, uh, I went to, uh, uh, Mormon student congregation there, uh, just off campus. Oh yeah, I know the place. Yeah, the little there's a little building for religious education. Yeah, right yeah, across. yeah, we used
0: to do panty raids right there across, across 15th the time <laughs> in, my, in my biker gang fraternity.
1: <laughs> there's a bunch of board games, and uh, uh, you know you can hang out there on weekdays too. The uh, the 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 bishop of my congregation, the pa- essentially the pastor of my congregation, was a guy on the UW science faculty, and I didn't know for the whole year I was there, even though I was taking CS classes that he was like the pioneer of virtual reality, like for the air force. And he's like in the encyclopedia Britannica entry on virtual reality. He is like mentioned as the godfather of it because he was like, you know the first flight simulator guy and what if we had a helmet and you could have binocular vision and a
0: heads up display
1: Yeah and he was like he was running my uh, my student congregation and uh, you know welcoming us every Sunday morning
0: So you weren't taking classes from him he was just your like yeah. let's play monopoly guy
1: Yeah and you know a little you know a homily on on Sunday morning and uh, you know let's stick around and have snacks after the service and uh uh, and it turns out he's some um, uh, wow Air Force virtual reality god, and I had no idea.
0: And you never figured it out in, in, in the time that I, you. Knew I found him. it
1: out towards the end of the year, and I asked him once about it. He was like preparing my paperwork to go on a Mormon mission, so like I, I met with him a couple times for so for him to fill out all the forms. I was you know I was in Spain by fall, and I said so. I just heard about uh, your your uh, you know your previous career and your what your uh, what you teach. And I was really interested in virtual reality because I don't know if you remember the other thing about the early '90s is there were all these terrible movies, yeah, Lon right. Man and Johnny Mnemonic, and, right? Right. Uh, it, suddenly it was a thing, and I was like, "So, uh, which of the movies is accurate?" And he was just annoyed. He was like, "None of them.
0: <laughs> none of the movies are accurate.
1: You, you understand nothing about me or my work." It right. was like the Marshall McLuhan thing.
0: He's just working on targeting computers, though.
1: Yeah, he yeah. just wants to. He just wants to blow stuff up. better. Right. Um. Anyway. This is all by way of saying I did not have a 3D coffee table book. So there was a line of of chemtrail across the St. Louis Arch, and suddenly it occurred to me, in my tired state, I was like, is this a picture of someone flying through the Gateway Arch? And no, both ends of the chemtrail are behind the uh, both legs of the arch. But I started to wonder, has anybody ever flown through the Gateway Arch? Because what an attractive target, right? Right. Uh,
0: You were off to the races at this point.
1: Uh, I, uh, I don't usually keep my phone by my bed and I don't think I had, I think I had to walk downstairs and get my phone cause I don't have good impulse control. So I keep the phone on a different part of my house.
0: But you and Mindy have been married a long time. So she uh, wasn't bothered. What does that mean?
1: Oh, I see. I think she was still up. Like it wasn't late. I was so wasted. I was like trying to go to sleep at like 1030 and suddenly I'm like interested in, has anybody flown through the gateway arts? And I get my phone and I spend the next a delightful hour to 90 minutes reading about the history of flying through the Gateway Arch and other things. This is
0: 100% why we started this show. <laughs> because we used to only have one another to to talk about these things.
1: If we don't do the show, it's just wasted time. You yeah. wake up and you're like, I could have been reading Dostoevsky last night and I spent 90 minutes reading old uh, articles from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Yeah. Uh, but look, here, here we is. are producing something Adding to the sum of human knowledge.
0: What did your research turn up? So the
1: answer is yes. It's such an attractive target to the stereotypical masculine pilot mind, of course. That just wants to see a hole and sure. penetrate it. Sure,
0: go in. <laughs> go in and get get that uh, St. Louis hymen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, when the arch was new, there was all this Spider-Man like webbing uh, yes. between the legs because they didn't want to. They didn't want anybody to do it, right? Uh, no. When the same, so the arch was built in. An interesting thing about the arch, just to hop back in time. I always kind of thought of it as a space needle copycat.
0: Oh, but it predates it. Well, the space
1: needle opened in sixty what 62, sixty two, famously for the yeah, fair. Two uh, three was it right? No, the okay. fair was sixty two. Okay, was so the space 62. needle up in sixty one? No, um, and the uh, St. Louis Arch was like officially. Ceremonially inaugurated by Hubert Humphrey in 1968.
0: Oh, so the, the space needle is the.
1: It's older. It's, so it's bigger, and it's bigger than the needle. You know, the, uh, the St. Louis Arch would neatly and lovingly cup all the way around the, the space needle, assuming it didn't have any kind of mem- membranous tissue. Boy, I, that, it.
0: <laughs> see, that's some fanfic I'd like to read.
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's a Japanese robot thing. But in fact, the plans for the St. Louis Arch go back
0: to FDR. It just oh it's a WPA thing that's why I thought that's why I I thought it was older because I yes somehow I've connected it to the no you're right
1: it's just that Seattle built ours in like a year you know so what's his name the Pike Place Market guy draws it on a napkin and uh, then
0: Steinbrook yeah Steinbrook
1: yeah. draws it on a napkin or whatever and then uh, two years later it's a life-sized thing and Elvis is up there right uh, st. Louis on the other hand decided in the 30s it was time to revive its waterfront and did not quite get to the gleaming stainless steel arch until <laughs> like 1968 the summer of love you know it, it literally took a generation like a like a medieval cathedral
0: i i laugh a pained laugh because of because i've spent quite a bit of time on the st louis waterfront and <clears throat> describing it as revitalized gives <laughs> gives me like the ironic uh chest chest pains well it was
1: warehouses and stuff in the 30s i right. mean it, it's what, whatever you think of it today, and and you should tell us what you think of it, and alienate. The- I have to be very careful now that I'm the interim guest, temporary substitute host of Jeopardy, not to alienate any different uh, uh, Jeopardy affiliates. Right. Um, so I have, don't have a bad word to say about St. Louis, but no, you of can be not. you can be the truth teller
0: here. Well, no, I love St. Louis. I am I'm St. Louis super fan. But but uh, but I mean the waterfront. Well, all of St. Louis is. <laughs> But it's a it's a
1: it's a national park, John.
0: Right, right, that's absolutely true. That's
1: As of true. 2018.
0: And you know, to President you know Obama. nothing revitalizes a place more than putting a natural a national park right on the right in the center of town. Well, it's
1: just like Seattle, right in the middle of town, there are all these grungy warehouses and stuff. Mm-hmm. They tore them down and put up a gleaming Amazon campus, oh. which is now empty. <laughs> and all the restaurants went under. It's perfect. All the of all the cheap apartments are gone and now there's empty cubicles and foosball tables.
0: The Space Needle website actually says to the future and beyond on it.
1: Do you think that predates the first Toy Story movie in 1990? (sighs) No, I don't think so. When did the first Toy Story come out?
0: 97? I don't
1: think that that they invented that. To the future and beyond. Totally
0: transformed to take your visit to the next level and beyond.
1: Well, also to infinity and beyond is a joke because there's nothing after... Infinity, just as there's nothing after the future, so to so making Whoa. to the future and beyond a straight slogan is a bad idea. I think you're blowing my mind. Right I just now. lost our Seattle affiliate. <sighs> uh, so anyway, the 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 city wanted uh, to you know revive this kind of grungy part of St. Louis along the river. Let's see, was it an anniversary of something? The Louisiana Purchase was 1803. So I don't even think it was a. Lewis and Clark style.
0: The 160th anniversary.
1: Because, yeah, it would have been like the 130th. I think it really was like, hey, Roosevelt's in office. There's a new deal. There's federal money for this stuff. Let's, uh, let's put in something nice here to commemorate. The, westward you know, expansion. Westward expansion. This is the center of all the departures from the Louisiana Purchase Era West. It should be on the banks of the mighty Mississippi. Uh, where better? So, uh, they are successful in getting President Roosevelt in the mid-30s to name it America's first National Historic Site. Hmm. Today, there are, what, probably hundreds of of NHSs? This is the first one. Very first one with that official designation.
0: The Embarkation
1: Point. And do you know the difference between a National Historic Site and a National Historical Park, which we also have?
0: A national historic site is one that has no binding in law and <laughs> and will not keep someone from tearing it down and building on a skyscraper. There? They're
1: both administered by the National Park Service, but they've chosen historic the word historic for sites and historical for parks. And the official word uh, on why is and it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I see that. The site is actually historic, but the. The, the park would not be historic. The creation of the park followed whatever made it historic. Right. So it's a historical park in that it contains historic things. Aha. A site can be historic. A park, a park can only cannot. be historical. So there's your pedantry from the uh, department you. of that,
0: department of interior. That is the kind of clarification that I desire. So thank
1: you. Uh, and uh, they wanted as early as the 30s, They wanted some kind of massive sh- a massive shaft is is in the original wording. Some kind of Masculine, centerpiece to commemorate the doubt, the brave, bold men who who
0: ventured west. This this show is really turning into a snicker fest.
1: But the funny thing is, it did not turn out to be a chef. It turns out, as we have noted, to be a more female symbol—a gently curved arch. Right. It's it's one of our more vaginal monuments. Yes, I don't even know what
0: would be in second place. Uh, well, uh, John, some, rank
1: all U.S. <clears throat> national historic sites in order of uh, vagininity. Vaginility.
0: I mean, there are some natural formations in the oh, uh, sure. in the southern Utah Rainbow that, Arch, right? That that, that the, qualify.
1: And the pioneers probably wanted to blow them up. They were like, "That's that hole is a little suggestive." Sure.
0: Well, they they run their they run their rag, wagon trains through it <laughs> and then blow it up, <laughs> so no one else can. But so, what else? I mean, no, you're right. They're all they're all spires.
1: So it turned out the uh, and I, I, I it never occurred to me right now that these are the kind of gentle curves you don't usually see on one of these. I mean, the Statue of Liberty is a woman, but you know, kind of a mannish one, and I don't mean that in a mean
0: way. I would say <clears throat> I would say that dams, like hydroelectric oh, dams, they do have the curve. They're often. very curvy and they're very well. I mean, and they dam up a channel.
1: They're like the IUDs of, of our national historic sites.
0: Yeah, or like a like a what what else? Uh, dental dam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a dental dam. In fact,
1: that's how the Hoover Dam was created. Somebody saw a dental dam lying on a desk and thought, and "What if like- that was bigger and spanned the Colorado River? What,
0: we could make power out of that." <laughs> okay, all right. So dams. So in
1: 1945, the uh, I think the state holds a architectural contest. What will be this giant centerpiece? of this kind of newly revived John Snickers part of town. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there are thousands of entries, uh, architects and artists and designers. And
0: 99% of them are aspire,
1: spire. <laughs> <laughs> are literally a phallus, uh-huh. like some with veins.
0: Like the green, the green office building downtown that now houses our, uh, all of our city offices.
1: Is that, is that the worst of the?
0: Yeah. The one that like has a, like, like a head on it, the, <laughs> right. the one next to the Columbia Tower.
1: One thing you can say about the-
0: um, Seattle Municipal Tower.
1: One thing you can say about this New York trend for these needle condos with very small footprints right. is that they are not big, girthy shafts. No, They've it's kind true. Of, they, they could not afford enough land to have the the phallic symbol that every skyscraper builder craves. So now they have these little tiny pointy spiky spires which are maybe a little more elegant I don't
0: yeah, know. Yeah, they have they have taken away the um <clears throat> the girth but they have they have maintained the desire to to puncture the heavens. Yeah, penetrate the sky and impregnate the clouds.
1: And that's where Dr. Strange lives. He lives in one of those And some of them are pretty awful cuz they have no, they're too small for any kind of design choice. Right. So they're really just a shape, a they're long crazy skin. They're just, it's just a, a, a stick pretzel. Yeah. What do you call the kind of pretzel that's not a-
0: uh, A po- cr- uh, pocky.
1: Yeah, it's a big pocky with <laughs> yeah. no frosting.
0: I, uh, well, pff, we don't know that, but they're all owned. By, I, I'm talking about the no frosting part. We don't know. I don't think anybody lives in those buildings, right? Just it's just Russian and Chinese billionaires that buy those.
1: There, it's just apartments. giant surveillance antennas disguised as skyscrapers.
0: It, it re- those those buildings in all their elegance and all their rather height, which I guess is <laughs> is, the, is that the same as elegance? The modern equivalent of elegance is just like we, we
1: can't achieve elegance, height. but we can put the money we would have put into elegance into height.
0: But it does really show how the weak force of gravity. Really restrains us because as tall as they are, they are not that tall relative to as high as birds fly. For example. Or airplanes fly.
1: In this case, we're going to see some airplanes flying a little lower. Ah, right. If we ever, if we ever get away from Dr. Strange's penthouse.
0: I really want to see somebody uh, fly a biplane through Manhattan as like a pylon course. <laughs> and just see if you can go from Harlem to the Battery at... 500 feet, like what? But not just go down 3rd Avenue. Like You you can't pick a canyon. You have to just, like somebody could trace a route that you could make the turns. Oh, that would be an exciting race.
1: 500 feet. You're going to scare some people. Oh, yeah. You're going to scare some people in those open-top tourist buses.
0: Yeah, Well. oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, actually, these days, it's probably a bad idea to fly uh, an airplane really low through Manhattan.
1: Yeah, I didn't want to say anything, because that kind of is going to be the end point of, of of this entry with the history of flying airplanes at U.S. national monuments. Um, that's, that's gotten a little more complicated in the last 20 years.
0: I'd like to point out that in the middle of this episode, my daughter entered our bunker and brought me a fresh cup of coffee. But super unhappily. Because she doesn't like to do it. I don't know who encouraged her to do it,
1: but— um, Do you think it was an inner, an inner voice of conscience, or I, do you think someone told her to?
0: Every morning, I call her from my room— <laughs> And say, bring me a cup of coffee. And every morning this is she why you says, had a child. every morning she says no. And then we engage in a negotiation, you know, often through my bedroom door. Please get me a cup of coffee. She says, no, you don't need a cup of coffee. Go back and forth. And about 65% of the time I convince her to bring me one. But how many times in all the years have you seen her come in here with a fresh cup First of time, I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. I thought maybe she was going to like splash you with it. <laughs> you could have. You
1: didn't have to have a biological child. Some some Wallace and Gromit contraption would have delivered you a hot cup of coffee to your bedroom. I
0: worked for years to build one, and I just <laughs> couldn't get it. And to, when it failed, yeah. we decided
1: on sexual reproduction. That's right. <laughs> John, you and I are small business owners. Yes, I have an LLC with a funny name.
0: Yeah, I do too. Uh,
1: I don't hire anyone. We're sole proprietors.
0: I've tried to hire people over the years, and people. Contact me and offer their services, but I'm always afraid to hire. What a nightmare! Some fan that's like, and I don't mean when I say some fan to be that dismissive, but people saying like, you need to be organized, and I will help you, and uh, so hire me as your as your assistant and manager. But I always think that they're going to put cyanide in my coffee and. And then start pretending to be me.
1: It's stressful to try to find somebody who can do a, a good job. And I don't even, again, I don't even run a company. This is just me trying to find somebody to moderate an internet group or something. It's super stressful. Because, you know, you
0: who, who's the right person? How do you know you can trust them? This C- is- Can you imagine if you were running a company and you needed five or 10 employees? How difficult it would a be? A month?
1: Uh, luckily, there's an easy way to find the right people.
0: Tell me more. In, I, keep, I keep thinking about going uh, into small business.
1: Indeed.com. This is where you should do all your hiring when you start your business, which will do what? What, what do you What do you make?
0: Uh, surfboards.
1: When you make surfboards, how many people are you going to need? Six. You need six people to make surfboards.
0: And I, and I need it done fast, and I want uh, payment flexibility and 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 no long-term contracts. This is perfect.
1: Indeed will search instantly through millions of resumes in their database. They, they have the largest database of their kind. Uh, they give you full control and payment flexibility. What what if I
0: want to pause my account?
1: Yeah, you don't sign any kind of long-term contract with them. You only pay for the people you
0: need when you need them. Well, So I want great candidates for my surfboard company. I need them right away.
1: They have an instant match feature, which will find you six surfboard uh, logistical experts with zero weight.
0: So how do I go about signing up for Indeed? Because this sounds like exactly what I need to... Put my Roderick surfboards out on, on the on the mark.
1: If like John you are hiring for surfboard makers or any other kind of concern or consortium, uh you will get a free seventy five dollar credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash
0: omnibus. You're saying I'm gonna get Free $75 credit if I just upgrade my job post at Indeed.com slash Omnibus? That's their best offer available
1: anywhere. And how long is this offer valid? This offer is valid through March 31st. Do terms and conditions apply? I've got some good news for you, John. Some terms and conditions do apply. So our contest is held to design this new whatever it will be. And a Finnish-American architect named Iro Saarinen, right. and I'm sure the Finns are mad. I'm just, I probably said it wrong. Well,
0: he, he's been, been Americanized because we talk yeah. about his architecture all the
1: he time. He said it in a weird Midwestern twang, probably, and that's why I said it that mm-hmm. way. He has not yet... I mean, he became one of the most famous architects of the 20th century. All his great modernist chairs and... Uh, just beautiful modernist uh, concourses at JFK and Dulles I mean that that the, if you've ever seen the kind of the swooping roof of the Dulles airport oh have I ever uh, that's all hero that's my hero <laughs> but at the time he was he had done none of that yet he was not he had not designed a single uh, weird uh, round chair
0: I mean, he's he may be your hero but he's an hero to us all
1: that's right uh, and this an was American hero <laughs> he's the greatest American hero <laughs> <laughs> His dad, Eliel Saarinen, was one of the great architects. Uh, Iroh was only thirty-five when he got the te- when his firm got the telegraph announcing that he was one of the finalists. Unfortunately, the secretary had missent the telegram to his more famous father, Eliel Saarinen, saying who that, hadn't
0: even de- who hadn't even designed one.
1: No, he actually had sent an entry as well. So we've got some inner family drama here. And the secretary sends the telegram to the wrong Saarinen, and there's a bunch of uh, celebration and cork-popping at uh, Saarinen & Sons, whatever his
0: architectural firm is. Well, except Arrows slinks off to his do, office. Do,
1: do, <laughs> do. But a few hours later, the situation is corrected, I think, with a phone call. And then his dad, it's a, it's a touching story, opens another bottle of champagne to celebrate an even more outstanding achievement, his young
0: son. Hey, there's no one more effusive than the Finns. Is a
1: finalist for this amazing, that's true. The famously <laughs> effusive Finns. Wait, that's not true. No, it's not at all. <laughs> Well, maybe he'd been Americanized. Yes. Or maybe it was just the first bottle of champagne in him. Uh, Saarinen's proposal is, spoilers, a giant stainless steel arch. Uh, At first, it is... 10,000 feet tall. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then he did some math on the back of an envelope. <laughs> it's uh, at first the legs are square. The footprint is square. If you, if, I don't know if you can picture it today, but the legs of the Gateway Arts John are triangular. They are, yes. They are three sided where they hit the ground. And I think even at the top it stays triangular. It's just, um, it's much thinner at the top. What the, do you
0: call a, a shape that is, tr- that is f- a triangle at the bottom? But a smaller triangle at the top, seems like tapering some kind of impossible. Triangle.
1: Yeah, it, it, it tapers. And I guess it must fl- – I need to look at a picture. Maybe it does flatten out at the top because, of course, there's an observation deck at the top with windows.
0: Is it a, a Mobius strip?
1: <laughs> no. It does have – it doesn't have – it has at least three sides. It is not one-sided. Uh, mathematically, it is not a parabola. It's called a catenary or an inverted catenary.
0: What is the difference a- Parabola. A parabola
1: is the shape you uh, you know a ball makes when you toss it in the air. Uh, you know what if you toss to the a ball, acceleration kind of, of
0: gravity uh, hot, downward straight up and then it no comes... matter
1: what you do, no matter what angle you choose, it will make a parabola because of the excel- the squared acceleration of gravity pushing downward.
0: But you don't think I could throw a ball up and it would it would trace the St. Louis Arch?
1: You could not. It would ah. trace a similar shape. A catenary is the shape that is formed when a chain is suspended by both ends. And naturally conforms to the shape of its own weight. Oh, they're very simple. Inverted, yes, and, and that upside down. Imagine gravity is now pointing up in St. Louis. Uh, things are cardinals' hats are flying off of people's heads. That's
0: been my experience.
1: What's the local cuisine there in St. Louis? They eat, Budweiser. They eat Budweiser <laughs> cans of Budweiser flying into space and knocking out uh, uh, Elon Musk satellites. If you held a chain the length of the St. Louis Arch at its base, it would mimic. Nearly the exact shape. I think it's uh, I think it's Sarnen often claimed it was uh a plain catenary because archwise that's the stablest shape. Because that's the shape that stuff wants to be. Um there's no sheer force pushing the legs outward. Right. Like the legs hit the ground. The legs at, at every angle are making the exact angle that uh that they want to be. So the only force is downward compression. Um nothing's pulling it apart inward or outward. Uh the uh in fact I think it's a slightly adjusted catenary. I think it's a little bit weighted. I think he finally decided it would be a little too pointy Uh and Uh McDonald's-like. Although this predates the Golden Arches if it's the mid-40s. And so it's a little bit
0: flatter and rounder. And how long ago in math was the catenary discovered and described?
1: Oh, the ancients, I think. Because, you know, you hang a chain or a string, that's the shape you get. Right. I mean, it was... They probably knew. I don't know if they knew the equation for it. I don't know. They knew the parabolas, obviously. Those are. I think they. I think they had the equation for the parabola. Uh, somebody's going to tell me.
0: Yep, for sure. Um,
1: there is some pushback. Uh, some people don't like the arch for various reasons. It, it looks futuristic. The World War II is is now over. The American century of prosperity and peace has begun. A gleaming round stainless steel futurey thing. Uh, seems the perfect symbol of this. And even if you read Humphrey's introduction in 68, it still sounds like a guy of that generation being like, out with the old, out with the shoddy, out with the refuse of yesterday. He uses the word shoddy, you know? Wow. Like now we get well-made stainless steel stuff.
0: And it would be, it would have been impossible to make this in 1905.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, Well, let's see. As soon as you have steel, the first steel girder skyscrapers kind of make it kind of make the skeleton of it possible. Right. Um I don't but, know what but, other techniques you need to clad it.
0: But would I mean uh, the, so skyscrapers you've got your girders you start at the bottom and go up. You've got uh you've got bridges by this point that that have uh that have steel Suspension, arches. Yeah. But is the is the catenary uh is there something intrinsic to the to the uh the way it is the stresses on, the, on the, the shape that would have required an, uh, an especially modern technology.
1: Yeah, maybe, and especially because during the building of it, the arch is not yet stable because you're starting in two legs and building these precarious right. curves. And it, I think at every point they have some kind of a derrick thing, a horizontal derrick thing in between,
0: you know, kind of— Keeping it from— Keeping yeah. each side from tipping over. So there's a keystone— that goes in at the top that holds Essentially, yeah,
1: together. just just like any arch. And uh and that's what happened. They, you know, they the, at the very end this thing got slotted in the top. And because this is all happening in the late 40s, you probably assume that that keystone would have been dropped in very soon. No, it took again 20, 25 or yeah, almost tw- I guess 20 years was between it, his winning the contest and the construction.
0: Was the Oh, so so the thing wasn't in construction or under construction for 20 years.
1: It was in constru- under construction for a surprisingly long time, like the bulk of the 60s. Wow. Um, but there was, the longer gap is like through the 50s when it's like, okay, now let's, you know, now we need the money for this. Now we need to, the railroad had to be moved. You know, there's, there's all the infrastructure of just turning that part of town into a park before you even build the big thing. Um, I read one of the most interesting pieces of pushback Serenin gets this from a landscape architect named Gilmore Clark who designed uh, mostly New York stuff, the Bronx Zoo and uh, something else really famous that I just blanked
0: on. I've been to the Bronx Zoo in the last few years. Oh,
1: sorry, I lied. The Central
0: Park Zoo. It's wonderful. I have not been to the Central Park Zoo.
1: I was there in the last year and a half, right before everything shut down, and it's a nice little zoo. Um, Do they
0: let monkeys just run around?
1: They do not. Like, just run around the zoo? They let seals swim around. That's I, about it.
0: I read something about the about the uh, Central Park Zoo that there was a kind of like little monkey that was um, I don't know that was domestic enough that that they just sort of didn't have them in cages. I think those days are gone.
1: Oh well. Wow. I have been to like some zoo in Amsterdam where there's an island of lemurs, and you just go to the island of lemurs, and the lemurs crawl all over you. I've been to the island of lemurs in my dreams. It's a horrifying uh, Indiana Jones style experience. Oh. Um. Oh, the 64 World's Fair. He designed the Unisphere and all the, you know, out in Queens. The Yeah, yeah. It's, the it's Tony, still there. It's the Tony Stark one. It is. Um. So he's one of the leading American landscape architects, and he hates the arch. He says it is based on the kind of the monumentalist fascist architecture of Mussolini. <gasps> and this creates two scandals. Oh,
0: that's a diss.
1: First of all, America is mad that they might be getting a fascist arch. And second of all, architects are all uppity because he's accused him of plagiarism. <laughs> Like apparently, if apparently if you're an architect getting compared to Mussolini, one of the worst things is plagiar. One of the worst parts of the accusation is that you've plagiarized uh, an Italian arch. But a triumphal arch is like an arc de triomphe. Sure, there's a
0: long it's history right there in the name.
1: Those go back to antiquity, I think. Yeah, I think the Romans had triumphal arches to but march their armies through.
0: But none of them are centenaries. Catenaries. None of them are catenaries. Ooh,
1: when will we get to the centenary of the catenary? Twenty sixty eight. That's something to look that's forward a to.
0: Ways, a ways off.
1: Even construction takes a long time. Uh, there's a lot of. Uh, it's a midwestern. It's a St. Louis massive construction project. There's unions. Right. The FLCIO doesn't want uh, the black unions to have any part of it. And it's not because sure. we're racist. You understand? No, no, no. no. Not,
0: it's not just because
1: they're the rival union, and they've been. You know, they're not as upright as us. Maybe they were scabs. Sure. So there's a racial element, which is not great for this thing that's supposed to commemorate. You know, the the history of Dred Scott and Missouri Compromise and all the. The, you know the civil rights angle of putting a big thing in downtown St. Louis, but that puts a real St.
0: Louis spin on it <laughs> for there to be for there to be a contentious racial labor problem,
1: union delays, and there's all kinds of discussions about it. Was supposed to open in '64, like that was even even once construction started, and then it it took three to four years longer. Well,
0: uh, so that that's why uh, that's why our our foe is mad because it's taking away some of the thunder of his landscape architecture of this of the '64 World's Fair. Oh,
1: that's probably true. Oh, by the way, this guy was a huge crank. Big sourpuss. Hates the Jefferson Memorial. Hates the Pentagon. Hates the Truman Balcony, which has been an
0: entry in the omnibus. How do you hate the Pentagon? I mean, I can understand how you hate the Pentagon, but like <laughs> can, It's can, a Pentagon.
1: I like how the Jefferson Memorial to you is a little bit controversial. I mean But how can you hate the Pentagon? What what has ever gone wrong in that building?
0: The the, the Jefferson Memorial is is, you know, pretty it's uh it's pretty revisionist, or I mean, you know, it's like I don't know, it feeds into his whole Greek temple aesthetic. Whereas, I think that's
1: what he didn't like. It was it yeah. was a fake old timey neoclassical.
0: But the Pentagon Come it's, on. It's just like, it's, well, it's the largest office building in the world, Ken. We should do an omnibus on the Pentagon. Has its
1: own- uh, uh ecosystem. Has its own subway and its own subway. Yeah. The it, train and the restaurant both. It makes its own weather. It has a post office. It has a Swarovski. I don't know what it has. Hmm, it does pro- it? I doubt it has a Swarovski. No. Uh, in, it, it, it makes its own wars. <laughs> it makes, <laughs> like, the. it can affect the weather half a world away. For example, in Cambodia. Um, there's all kinds of plans about what's going to be done with the river at one point Disney Walt Disney wants to build Disney World there Um, oh and so there's a few years where it kind of looks like there's going to be a massive historical amusement park there Um, but finally in 1967 the tram is completed up one of the legs before then it was a 45 minute walk to the top Uh, that's the same summer that the visitor center opens the first people go to the top And uh, as I've said, Vice President Humphrey dedicates it the following year. Interestingly, the latest big change to the arch happened in 2001 when it was lit for the first time. In 2001? For decades, there was no agreement on how or if it should be lit. And I think maybe the problem was getting somebody to pay for it. So it was, you know, St. Louis would brag about how it's lit only by our gleaming skyline. But really what that meant is we haven't been able to figure out, (laughs) haven't been able to figure out electricity.
0: Yeah. Now how would you light it? I mean, you don't want it, you want it to be evenly lit. Right. But it's much easier to light the bottom part of it than it would be the top.
1: It sure is. Uh, I'm, I, to this day, I'm not sure, but, uh, Hmm. but it first was lit in November, 2001, which may again be related to the events two months prior. I don't Uh know. At the same time, Over this 40-year history of getting this thing built. Eh, 30-year history, we'll call it. Almost 40. Uh, Another trend is going on, which is early in aviation, barnstorming pilots start to do dumb
0: stuff. Sure. That's their Um, favorite thing.
1: um, Because at first, it's interesting just to see somebody fly a plane. Yeah. But you know how people are.
0: Pretty soon, you want to see them fly a plane through a barn. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I've seen a plane go up. What else you got? Right. And that's when people start testing the limits of what you can do with a plane. In 1911, a pilot named uh, Lincoln Beachy, in front of an audience of half a million people, flies over Niagara Falls and then under the bridge there, under the the international bridge between U.S. and Canada. Right. And that's very exciting. You've seen a plane in the sky, but what if, John, I were to tell you that it were between uh, the Earth and a bridge? Pretty good, right? I'm I'm more impressed. Uh, In 1919, and really, it's kind of a shame this comes in the middle of the entry, because first of all, It means this is going to be a very long entry, but second of all, this is probably the best bit of arch penetrating that's ever been done. Uh, After World War II, of course, troops are marching through the Arc de Triomphe triumphantly. That's what it's for. Right. And airmen are asked to walk through the arch with- uh, Holding
0: a a plane (laughs) aloft.
1: With the military parade, and they are angry. They feel this demeans them to be on the ground. They should be doing some kind of flyover. Here, here. Uh, so the, the World War One pilots are drinking wherever they drink near an aerodrome, and they decide, you know well, what we're going to do? Know, Snoopy
0: is—, is <laughs>
1: Right. Snoopy's there. We'll <laughs> take you right there. <laughs> Snoopy's quaffing a root beer with Bill Malden. That's a good reference. Uh, <laughs> and these pilots get a little loaded, and they decide, you know what? Here's paybacks. What if we just fly through the Arc de Triomphe? In one of our little biplanes.
0: Oh, that's payback. But you've been to the Arc de Triomphe. There's not a ton of room in there for an airplane. It
1: is not very big. No, it's the size of a of a, a you know a city traffic circle. Yeah, a, a triumph of arch.
0: But but it's you know it's I don't know. There's not like
1: here are the measurements. How how, how many feet across you think the the aperture in the Arc de Triomphe is? Forty. Very good. It's forty eight feet wide. And uh, these pilots are flying planes with like a 25 to 30-foot wingspan. Right. So you have a you have somewhere between, let's see, in this case, it's a 27-foot You have 10 feet on each side, basically. Mm-hmm. I've never flown a plane, but walk me through this. How, is, is that a tricky...
0: Yes. Like <clears throat> keeping a 10-foot? Well, but also you're... How tall is it? 100-foot high? Yeah, it looks about 100 feet. Yeah, so you've got to line up uh you know both dimensions and then i mean you can thread it but you've got to be going in a straight line you hope there's not oh the other thing would be that a th- a thing like that it's because it sits in an open plane it's going to create little wind curves and stuff right so you get you get right in the center of that arch and then there's a there's a sheer wind kind of waiting for you on the other side i mean i i, I wouldn't do it you wouldn't do it as a, as a Are person, you just deciding now? As a person who has soloed in a 172 like five times, I don't feel like I'm the man to do it. But those those biplane pilots, they could do amazing things.
1: They could, like, would you turn sideways like the
0: Millennium Falcon? I would do that even less. I would do that even less. Is that
1: not an option in a biplane? You I can think, do that in a biplane, I think right? It is, but I not mean, at that. Maybe not at that altitude. I mean, they those.
0: could do it. I just, I, I personally wouldn't want to be. On the airplane. The pilot that Actually, is- Actually, ch- no, I would. That seems fun. Do you want God. to be in the backseat? I would be in the backseat, yeah. Uh,
1: the, it's like it's a mad, 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 mad world. Yeah. Your, your wife falls out and nobody notices. <laughs> uh, the pilot chosen for this is Jean Navarre, you know, the greatest French ace of the war. He begins practicing and almost immediately kills himself practicing. <laughs> like really? He crashes his plane and dies trying to prepare for this. I mean, he's not- He's not practicing at the art. He's not right. buzzing
0: the <laughs> Place de la Toile every day or whatever. Right. He's just trying to do the stunt.
1: Yeah, he's just, you know, he's found a place where he can practice the stunt and he crashes his plane and dies.
0: This makes me want to do it less.
1: Well, it did not deter Charles Charles Godefoy. Godefois, maybe? Hmm. His his, you know, the second best pilot they could find. <laughs> <laughs> Who also died? He spends five hundred hours. He finds a bridge of about the right height and altitude. spends about five hours but five hundred hours buzzing this bridge. Five hundred hours. Sorry, I'm lying. He has five hundred hours total airtime during the war.
0: Oh, okay. okay so that's okay, a lot, okay. right? Okay. Oh, Is yes. that a Well, lot? yeah, it's a lot. That's a lot. During the war, which was only four years long. A few years. Yeah, that's that's a lot of flight time. Because those were short
1: flights. They didn't have a lot of fuel, right? Right.
0: right. Okay. I mean, you, you often see, uh, jet, like, like, um, jumbo jet pilots who have 2000 hours throughout their entire career, including their time in the air force. Ugh,
1: I don't, listen, don't fly frontier. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. Uh, what's the number where I should feel safe?
0: I mean, in a biplane, I would say 500 hours. <laughs> so
1: he's, so, but he does do repeated practicing. You know, he spends weeks practicing at this bridge. He gets a journalist friend to film it. So we now have footage of this guy flying through the Arc de Triomphe. The authorities, of course, were extremely unhappy and, in fact, banned the footage. So it was impossible to see for many years. They didn't want they wanted to control the idea of a guy a, flying a plane through the Arc de Triomphe. Can
0: you see the footage now?
1: Yeah, it's online. Oh, wow. Check it out. I will. Um, so that's really the peak of Arch flying because, again, 10 feet on each side.
0: I'm now picturing you late at night having come home from Jeopardy watching him fly through the Arc de Triomphe. In the middle of the night on your iPad.
1: That's exactly what happened. Uh, This continues in 1942. That's the same year that someone first, I believe, flies under the Golden Gate Bridge and the Sydney Harbor Bridge. Uh, Mm -hmm. Two bored Americans did it in Kitty Hawks. And the following week, five Dutch pilots were like, we should do it in formation. Because, you know, they're trapped in Australia. The war's broken out. Right. Uh, Please see our episode on the, what was it called? Operation... Endless sunrise, yeah. Dub- double the double order, order, uh, order of the of double, double sunrise, sunrise, or something right. like That's that. Right. Um, so these Dutch guys are stuck are stuck in Australia. They decide they're going to fly five planes in formation under the Sydney Harbour Bridge.
0: Two days later, seven lords a leaping <laughs> went under the bridge. Five
1: planes a <laughs> bridging. They get the thumbs up from this radio operator named Joe Mueller, and they take off, and they all fly under the bridge. And they get back and they find that all hell is broken loose because I guess thumbs up just meant looking good, you guys. It did not mean he had actually asked the tower. They thought he had sought permission for this. Oh. And it turned out they had done it without permission. Oh. And it was a huge thing and everybody did they all got get got yelled at. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What, what's the worst thing that can happen to you in the Dutch Air Force?
0: Oh, uh, <laughs> the Dutch Air Force. I'm trying to, I'm trying to even think of, it, of, get, of an image of the Dutch Air Force. You get whacked
1: around with a wooden shoe or something.
0: That's not true. I saw the Dutch Air Force in action one time against whom? The Belgians? No, it was during the Kosovo War, and uh, and I was out. Uh, I'm I'm not even going to say what I was doing in the middle of the Naderlands. <laughs> you, I'm walking
1: across some. No, continent. I wasn't doing anything not gonna like mention that. Which one? I'm
0: getting too teased by the Futurelings for mentioning uh, my. Past adventures, and so I'm not even going to say it anymore. They admire you for doing it. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to deny them it's a just bingo. Just all the talking about it. Bingo card. Uh, but the Dutch Air Force flew over me at one point out in the middle of nowhere, and I thought, what are they doing? And then I realized, oh, it was like a Kosovo support as part of NATO. They were training to go support this whatever our intervention down there.
1: And they were looking good
0: from your yeah, they point good. of view in a haystack. Like,
1: it's hot. What do you think about the shirts this month, John? That we, have, we have available on, on uh, omnibusproject.com slash store, thanks to our friends at Mediocrity.
0: I love the fact that we are doing shirts every month. I think our shirt designs are really incredible. I kind of want to solicit uh, shirt designs from the more artistically inclined futurelings the shirt designs that we are making are – I mean, I would be proud to wear them to a wedding or a funeral.
1: Would you wear this black um, Nagel uh, pastiche
0: of you and I? That, that Nagel thing is so cool. I would wear that to the presidential inauguration if I'd been invited.
1: My hair is dark in it because Nagel never drew blondes.
0: Oh, right.
1: Uh and I really I don't know what the what what is the effect I look like um, the kid catcher or something from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, just a fantastic great shirt. reference. All the eighties, um, the font and the little Miami Vice stripes in the corner. It, it, it
0: turned out great. Yeah, yeah. I, I think everything should be nagelized, including the King James Bible, <laughs> and uh, we can we can start uh, we can start with omnibus being completely negalized.
1: You you want it to be you think it should be literary works should be nagelized? Yeah,
0: I think that the story should be told in nagel posters from hair salons.
1: I think it should still be written text but it's just be um with a much more nagel sensibility like and and Jacob went up to Rebecca who uh-huh. had pale skin
0: and was scowling and pouting a little bit lots of eyeshadow <laughs> or it could be an illuminated manuscript instead but instead yeah. of you know very florid first letters it could be you know like one of the members of Duran Duran.
1: The other shirt is modeled on generic food of the 70s. This is funny. At the bottom, it's, you know, it says Omnibus Podcast, but it's like a generic podcast
0: shirt. And it has a barcode.
1: It has a barcode, which um, some people have found out what the barcode is a barcode to, and I thought that was a funny little Easter egg.
0: I oh, encourage you well, to— Well, won't, we won't tell what I'll it is. I'll leave
1: that as an exercise to the listener. <laughs> Good. It says serving size 29 to 90 minutes twice per week. Oh, that's it. That means we used to record 29-minute shows. We have
0: never done a 29-minute show. Is that possible?
1: What could be the shortest show? I It must have been very early. Yeah. Uh, we, we certainly don't do that anymore. It's probably starlings or, or defenestration. 90 minutes also would be a bit much. Too much.
0: We try not to do that, but we do get close. Uh,
1: yeah, so really, this um, packaging is making no promises about what you might get inside, but it's a fantastic-looking shirt.
0: Yeah, avail yourselves of these T-shirts. They uh, – they are things that we're having fun making, and they help us make the show uh, by buying them and supporting them. There are a lot of ways you can support the show. Our Patreon account and buying our merch uh, all all uh, help us a great deal. The rotating shirts are from
1: our friends at Mediocrity. We also have kind of all-purpose Omnibus and Futurelings hats and mugs and hoodies and whatnot. You can see all of the above by checking out omnibusproject.com
0: slash store. I'm sure the, the the futurelings are, if they're not already, uh, planning actual meat space meetups as soon as the pandemic is over. And uh, having one of these t-shirts will let you be readily identifiable at the trivia night at your local pub where you and other futurelings congregate.
1: Uh, in 1955, Seattle is actually the site of one of the most famous stupid plane tricks of all time. Huh? Seafair 1955.
0: This was well, bef- site of many stupid events.
1: Before, yeah, site of many unwanted pregnancies, I'm sure. <laughs> but before your term in office as, right. as Seafair God. Right. So you're not responsible for this.
0: King Neptune.
1: But a test pilot who was supposed to do a flyover in the new 707 uh, from Boeing decided to barrel roll it. Oh, he sure did. Because he had done this, he had done it once before and realized actually the G Force is exactly the same. It, it, The aircraft appears to be fine. Tex
0: Johnston. That's the guy. A famous Seattleite and American.
1: And when he landed, he got yelled at by Bill Allen personally.
0: Yes, but then he realized he'd or no, he said, right? Go yeah, ahead.
1: I think somebody from Bell came up to Alan and said, "What are you talking about? He just sold your plane, you right. know." Like, and that's true. I'm sure they got hundreds of orders off of this bozo
0: barrel rolling a seven hundred seven. My folks were at that seafair, no, and saw it saw it happen. Yeah, your mom, mom must have
1: been so proud when you were King Neptune. It was like if uh, you know she'd been going there her whole life.
0: Well, that's the thing. My you know my dad had already passed away, but but. When when they asked me to be King Neptune, my that was my mom's only quote was she said your dad would be so proud. <laughs> he loved seafare, and he would that that's your crowning achievement.
1: He would have given you a real Christmas present instead of those imaginary
0: ones. <laughs>
1: so the FAA, uh, not staffed with dummies, realizes that the St. Louis Arch is just. A super tempting target.
0: Oh, before it even happens, they're yes. like, this is going to be a problem.
1: Before it's even constructed. In June 16th of 1965, three years before the Arch is dedicated, the FAA puts out a statement saying, uh, any pilot uh, who dares to penetrate our nation's um, most welcoming opening will be f- heavily fined and have their license revoked. Oh. And uh, in fact, they put strict rules. I mean, it's the it's a national monument, so it's the same kind of rules you would have around the Washington Monument or the Statue of Liberty. You can't come within two thousand feet of it. Right. Any kind of erratic flying is going to get you is going to get you in trouble. Nothing fancy around the uh, St. Louis Riverfront anymore.
0: What's fu- What's funny is that the arch has this kind of park at its base mm-hmm. that is shaped in such a way as to evoke. Um, like a trench in a Death Star or whatever. It, it's like a very inviting... If you come across the river, it basically looks like... Even the terrain welcomes you. It does. It just says, like, come through me. I mean, that's the point of it. That's what an arch means.
1: Pass through me, wagon trains and uh, trappers and uh, Lewis's and Clark's.
0: Yes. Uh, Huddled masses, yearning uh, to breathe free. Give me your
1: Lewis's, your Clark's. Uh, and it's much wider. So it's... um. Originally the arch was supposed to be, I believe, taller than it was wide. It is now a perfect square. It's six hundred and thirty feet uh leg to leg and six hundred and thirty feet to the top.
0: This is like your moon illusion entry. I know, it seems Lo- taller. Right? Looking at it, I cannot believe that it is as wide as it, it
1: is. It can be inscribed in a square. Wow. Um and so and the legs are fifty-four feet wide. So you really only have what, what is that, five hundred and twenty feet of space, but still that's what, uh, almost over 10 times the clearance of the Arctic Triumph, So you don't even have to be like a flying ace to, uh, to make it through. You know, it's It's going to be attractive to just weekend pilots who have had a beer or two. Right. Um, and the FAA is not wrong. Just almost exactly one year to the day after they announced their, whatever you do, do not fly through the gateway arch. <laughs> It's a hot summer day.
0: Uh, I mean, a seven forty seven is two hundred and twenty four feet wide.
1: So you could get two seven forty sevens uh, wingtip to wingtip, Blue Angel style, through the St. Louis Arch, and uh, that I believe has never happened. Someone would notice.
0: Yeah, that'd be a that'd be on the
1: internet. But imagine you're in a small plane. Imagine you're in a twin engine Aero Commander, for example, because that's what approaches the Arch on June twelfth, nineteen sixty six. It comes in at a height of about 250 feet. So closer to the ground than to the top of the arch. Because, you know, it's widest at the bottom. Mm-hmm. You, you want to you take it in low, I assume. Would you feel confident doing it to the St. Louis Arch in a plane? Much more confident. Because it's, it it's so much wider.
0: I think while you were in the air as you passed through it, you would feel like it was narrower than it seemed. It's one of the things about being in an airplane my dad always told the story about flying around, uh, Mount Denali mm-hmm. in Alaska. And at one point he was, he was flying with a bush pilot that he knew. And, and he said, you know, we're getting a little close to the mountain. Like, could you, I mean, when are you going to pull up? And the, and the guy said to him, like, you know, we're four miles away from the mountain. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, uh. There's a tour group there that has their hats knocked off and they're shocked. People try to take a picture, but nobody quite get a picture in time. There are construction workers inside the arch working on it who report that it's to them a deafening noise and that the arch is literally shaking Whoa. as the plane goes through. Um, the 15 or so eyewitnesses say that it's a blue and white or green and white Arrow Commander. I don't know this plane, but uh, maybe you can imagine it better than me.
0: Yeah, it's not. It, it it's a. It would not be. Um. It, it's uh. It's not. It's like a. It's like a two engine plane. It's yes. A, it's like a. It's a bigger plane than. Yeah. Than just a little, little putt putt. Yes. Although
1: that part is disputed as well as we'll see, because the eyewitnesses can only get two numbers off the tail registration, but that's enough for the FAA to narrow this down to eleven different aero commanders with that coloration and number pattern. And they tracked down the pilot of every single one. All were far from St. Louis, one as far as South Africa. All 11 planes have a perfect alibi, and the trail goes cold.
0: No kidding.
1: Until 2016, on the 50th anniversary of the flyby, uh, the, the 50th anniversary makes the news in St. Louis, and Donna Doris of Madison, Illinois, comes clean. She says that that day, my dad, railroad worker Earl Bolin, or it worked at the rail yard, I think, not a, not a train guy, um, came home and said to his wife, well, I guess I got away with it.
0: <laughs> and she said, what do you
1: mean? And he said, watch the news tonight. <laughs> he had, uh, he had flown his plane through the, according to Donna, her dad had confessed to flying his plane through the St. Louis Arch and then immediately leaving town at high speed, crossing the river landing in Granite City, Illinois, and walking away before anybody could notice uh, what had happened
0: and did he have an arrow commander
1: he did not so that's what's interesting in fact he never had a twin engine plane on which all the eyewitnesses agree uh donna when interviewed by the saint louis paper said that her dad at various times had a cessna a piper and a piper cub and uh none of those you think well, you'd think would be mistaken for a arrow commander
0: well there aren't there are pipers that that might she said he never had a twin engine
1: plane Okay. Maybe I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe he had a twin engine Piper and she misremembered.
0: Well, it seems like that would be a thing you would remember. But there are there are. I mean, the thing about an Arrow Commander is it looks more like a Piper than a Cessna.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, and who who is being asked here? You know, yeah, right. a, bu- a bunch of tourists who saw it whiz by their heads. So. They can't.
0: They can't get the numbers off the tail. But they're like, that's an Arrow Commander, <laughs> <laughs> a very unusual aircraft.
1: Over the following, let's see, let's call it 15 years, another almost dozen planes do the same thing. Mm. December 12th, 1969. The following week, December 17th, sixty nine. April 16th, 1971. And there's another unconfirmed one that same week. October of 71. Early November 77. Late January 81. Early February 81.
0: So it seems like... They come in clusters where somebody do. does it, and then there's another guy who's like, wait a minute, I could do that.
1: And I wonder if it's reported on locally, because the National Park Service tries to keep a lid on this kind of thing.
0: Do all these pilots get caught and get and have their licenses revoked? Not a single one is ever caught. <laughs> after,
1: the, after the third one, the FAA institutes yeah. a $500 reward for any information-leading to the arrest of any pilot who has flown through the St. Louis Arch, and they don't get a single one. That's All of them got away. Clean. Incredible. There are two cases where uh, a pilot does not get away. In 1973, the first aircraft does it with permission, and it's a hot air balloon.
0: No kidding.
1: Uh, St. Louis tries to. Do you remember the 70s as a time of great hot air balloon fascination? I do, I I do. too, but is that just because I was a kid?
0: No, it is because it was a, a super fad, and in Alaska, it was a huge part of, of of Anchorage culture all up until the mid-80s. Like my, my high school football field.
1: Your high school mascot was a hot air balloon. It was a hot air Go <laughs>
0: balloonies. Uh, my high school football field was a launching place for hot air balloons. And huh. there were sometimes 20 or 30 hot air balloons in the air at, a, at the same time. There were jamborees. A hot air balloon landed in the lake. Next to my house. Probably not on purpose. Dropped down, touched the basket in the water, and then dropped all its ballast, hit the, you know, hit the gas. They're super loud when they're they're on fire. And then pulled up out of the lake and, I mean, we were all, you hear that sound over, over your house and we were just like, what is happening? All ran outside, watched this thing, like, just tip, you know, just, drip into the lake seemed very risky considering you can't steer them yeah i i wonder if the pilot meant to do that but how could you steer it through the arch
1: i don't see how you could it didn't go well so uh, so I'm remembering the same thing you are, which is that America was just in, you could not watch PBS for five minutes without seeing a montage of hot air
0: balloons doing something. They were all over. And when was the last time you saw one? No, they, they what happened to them all? Well, there was some, I. They once blackened the planes. I looked this up and in Anchorage, there was some new regulations, some insurance thing that, that basically just made it, just put the kibosh on the whole sport. It seemed like a rich man's sport. I feel like I feel like the front range there in Salt Lake City was a big hot air balloon. I place.
1: see hang gliders there, but I don't know if I've ever seen a hot air balloon. I remember, you know, after seeing them on three, two, one, contact my whole childhood. I finally saw some hot air balloons launching over Woodenville out on the yeah. east side because that's they they do that to this day. It must be good, well, good you, empty space and yeah, winds and You winds have to be somewhere farland. where you're
0: not going to hit anything. Yeah, and you can fly for a while and basically like. Uh, let the air out before you go into the mountains. But I
1: remember seeing them rising from, you know, rising above, from Magnuson Park, kind of rising above the the lake and the hills and just thinking like I had seen Bigfoot, you know, because I had actually seen a hot air balloon in the wild. Uh, Recently, they've been putting one next to Green Lake and inflating it. But not... But not taking it off. Flying it? So from our house, you can hear that. Yeah. But, you know, it's just a big lit. It's part of their lantern thing. Uh, and I, j- just this summer, when Mindy and I were in uh, Jackson, Wyoming, I was like, "Hey, this is it. Maybe we should—is uh, this our time to do hot air ballooning? You know, it seems pretty COVID-safe. It's yeah. you and one other person outdoors in a mask." And uh, she looked it up, and like there, there had just been a fatality. <laughs> oh no! In, in Jackson Hole, like the month before.
0: And that was enough. And she was like, "Yeah." So
1: I think that is something to your that does go to your point about how people started to realize it wasn't just a safe thing that anybody could hang out a shingle and launch hot air balloons. Um, But in this case, in 1973, the city of St. Louis wanted to have a big balloon tradition, you know, like other cities. They wanted to have a festival and a great balloon race. And I think this has continued uh, maybe to this day. But this inaugural one in 1973 started with uh, Nikki Kaplan, a hot air balloonist. And in fact, I believe America's premier female hot air balloonist, Mm -hmm. um, launching through... The St. Louis Arch, the first aircraft that had ever had permission to do so, she actually bumped into it on the way up. But in a hot air balloon, it doesn't matter that much. You bounce off. You bounce off. And that went great. The other time that uh, the FAA was not left just shaking their fists in the air was when a helicopter did it on April 6th, 1984. Uh, That seems much more doable. Yes. And that guy got caught and arrested. And I think, we're, you know, it's beginning to be the era of greater surveillance, you know, news teams and surveillance cameras and today's cell phones. And I believe that helicopter in 1984 might have been the last time that the St. Louis Arch was aerially penetrated. Uh-huh. It's, uh-huh. It's, it's virginity has been restored. Is
0: that right? In all that time, uh, now it's just- N- Nobody's a, done it in 35 years. It's a dead deal. I wonder if this episode of- the omnibus. do you think we could bring it back uh i I wonder if if we've got you know it's a it's the type of thing where if your pilot's license is about to be revoked anyway for some other reason like drunkenness or a heart condition, why not go out with a bang
1: well, like listeners should not do it in our era i think but okay. if you're if the year has five digits, let's say, and it's a planet of the apes world where Part of the St. Louis Arch is still emerging from the ground, whether it's, um, you know, you you got the top of it, so you got less clearance, or maybe just two legs sticking straight up. Mm -hmm. Why not use some of your precious uh, fuel? Fly through that thing. Nobody's done it in millennia.
0: What if you're a futureling that has the gift of flight?
1: Sure. Maybe people are just zipping and diving through the St. Louis Arch in the future as we speak.
0: Yeah. I I can see it. I can see the St. Louis Arch. Surrounded by fairies? It would be pleasant to think so. And that concludes. Flying through the St. Louis Arch. I think that's our first verb phrase ever to title an episode. Entry 484.EZ4030. Certificate number 30320. In the Omnibus.
1: You know what? I'm going to say it's a gerund, actually. It's a gerund. It's a gerund. It wasn't a verb. Don't worry about it.
0: Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived at at Omnibus Project. Our handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. I'm also on Instagram, where you can see all of my uh, swimsuit photos. Uh, You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Uh, please uh, avail yourselves of the Futurelings groups on Reddit and Facebook and Stitcher and Pow pa- What's the what's the? Did you say Reddit? Did you say Discord? Reddit, Discord. What's the uh, Parlor? Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm All- sure there's a lively subgroup on Parlor.
0: All of them. Um, you can mail us real mail at PO Box five five seven four four Shoreline Washington nine eight one Five uh, five. Address it to the Omnibus Project, even if it is specific to Ken or to me. Um,
1: oh, you're getting mail bounced. If it you, just says John Roderick,
0: yeah. If you are mailing things to Ken, like uh, like headshots that you want him to autograph and send back, please don't do that. If you want <laughs> to email us, you know, or or I'm sorry, if you want to mail us things specifically to one or the other, you can. You can do so, of course.
1: So the, the reason why your mail is bouncing in mine is not it's my post office box you're, yeah. you're drafting off of. Yeah, that's right. You realize you could get your own post office box.
0: Well, yeah, that that's been true for 25 years. <laughs> I could have had my own post office box this whole time, but I uh, I always I used to draft off of Sean Nelson's back in the back in the Rock days. He
1: would they would just it would just come to his box and he'd be like, John, here's some mail.
0: Yeah, he'd be so mad every time, just like you're beginning to be. <laughs> uh, I I found
1: somebody online who. Um, who wants to? I was going to put this in a dentist show, but why not say it now? He wants to send us Gros Michel bananas. Oh, oh. It's, it's the person who um, we recorded a show about B Traven. Like the same week, he wanted that as a wedding as a wedding gift. Oh, and I said, and I said, sure, we'll do that for you because we had like just recorded it. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> And he wants to mail us bananas, but they can't go to the PO box. So he no. wants he wants a brick and mortar address.
0: Right now, what do we? Uh, what Sh- we need to do is buy a house <laughs> just to receive bananas. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm just going to use your house. It's not occupied right now. Hey. I'm going to use your. Uh, it's just a ravine right now.
0: Yeah, but a but but a year a year from now, he's going to be uh, he's going to be sitting outside my house with binoculars.
1: You think this is the long con? He's pretending to give yeah, you bananas
0: just because he wants to break in. Well, that's the thing. He he sends you one thing of bananas and then. It feels like he can come ring your doorbell.
1: Maybe the crate of bananas has inside it some kind of little
0: thing that laser
1: that disables your security system and little robot comes out and opens the pet door
0: for him. A a guy was working on my furnace yesterday and I said, uh, what do you think about these internet activated thermostats? And he was like, don't put one of those in your house. Are you crazy? Well, what's his beef? Well, he thinks that the Russians can turn my heat on. Oh, Right. So, I don't, I, I, who knows? If you're going to ask a question about the furnace guy, uh, from the furnace guy about your furnace, he
1: thinks Jeffrey Epstein yeah. is, is turning on your furnace right That's now. That's right. Uh, speaking of the mailbox, oh, well, here's a fun postcard. This is seems like it's more relevant to you, John. Oh, even though he says, Ken, you're my hero, but he wants to tell you that his dad proposed to his mom at the Captain
0: Cook. Oh. Is that an Alaska thing? It's the, well, traditionally the nicest hotel in Anchorage. It's where my uh, where we had my father's memorial service. Ah. It's where I met Sarah Palin. <laughs> all the great <laughs> events in your
1: life. We ate at Gwenny's on Spenard?
0: Uh, that's out in Spenard. It's Spenard, on its way to the airport. All so the time. Gwenny's is one of those restaurants that has like a quirky interior. It's quirky. Very Alaskan.
1: Well, well, Megan enjoys your Alaska nostalgia. She also addressed this United States Planet Earth Milky Way, and it got here. So, Well done. That that probably helped. Nice. And then uh, (laughs) Marin or Marin is a librarian who is going through some donated books because people just give all their junk to the library, and then the poor library has to throw it away. She found a copy of a book by the author George Sand and thought, oh, I've just seen a trivia question about her. That's funny. What do they call that again when you hear about something and then you immediately... It's she, the... What she,
0: is it she
1: couldn't remember the name of it. The, and then the very next book she opened in the box was this. No, the Botter-Meinhof syndrome. A, a secret romance called The Botter-Meinhof Affair. And it literally has
0: Fabio on the cover. That is the... That's the basically the story of my song Cinnamon, The Bader meinhof Affair. Do you, did you read this
1: book, this romance book with Fabio on the cover and decide
0: this should be a pop song? I didn't. It's a, it's an example of the Bader meinhof phenomenon. Uh, when f- was that book written? It seems it's quite got Fab- recent. Fabio. On the the cover.
1: funny thing is, that's Fabio. But has kind of an old Fabio wearing like kind of a weird coat where you can't tell he's he's got a gut now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I guess
1: they still think that Fabio on the cover sells a book. Sells a book. Two thousand
0: two. Oh, so apparently. that is right about when I was writing the song Ooh. Cinnamon. But it's before the song Cinnamon was released to the general public. So it really, truly was Kismet.
1: Let's see, do you have any lyrics like this in your song? Reclaiming her lips, he crushed her to his chest. She felt an electric jilt as the hollows of her curvy body were pressed into his hard body. The embrace was at first surprisingly gentle, but it rapidly became punishing and passionate. Good grief. Punishing? I feel like it shouldn't be punishing. Well, I don't know. I don't want to tell. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be your authority on feminism, but come on.
0: Punishing and
1: passionate. The two peas of love. <laughs> thank you, uh, Myron, for sending us a copy of the Bader-Meinhoff affair. Yeah, thank you. We are getting great Bader-Meinhoff stories, which will have been in last week, last month's addenda by the time you hear this. What else did you? Uh, oh, uh,
0: the only last thing I would like to say, Ken, is that uh, listeners who enjoy the program can support us at Patreon.com/slash Omnibus Project. Um, your generous contributions help keep the show on the air, and uh, and we and they warm the cockles of our hearts. They do, and I
1: believe listeners also have cockles warmed when they get an extra omnibus every month. That's right, by way of the Addenda
0: Show, an extra omnibus, and uh, at different Patreon levels, there are different uh, bits of fan service we provide, including. A Zoom call with you if you support the show at, at uh, one of our uh, levels. There's a there's, Zoom level.
1: There's an even higher super secret level where we will send you a rom- romance novel we have written about mm. the two of us.
0: <laughs> with the, the passionate and also punishing embrace.
1: At the $1,000 level, we send you Slash Fiction. Slash Fiction, which,
0: which includes you. You, yeah, you are, are caught in the you're, punishing you're embrace. You're the
1: third party. <laughs> Welcome aboard. It's the batter you u affair, baby. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. Now, we hope and pray that the catastrophe that blows the top off the St. Louis Arch may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence is passionate rather than punishing... We hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.